Welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you from the swimming pool of the highly respected and extremely well-known Department of Ocean Science and Engineering here on the beautiful Hoople campus. This week, we're talking about an especially bizarre find, dozens of 80-million-year-old shark teeth in the middle of a pit full of Iron Age pottery and fish bones in Jerusalem. Is this someone's idea of a joke? How did shark teeth from the late Cretaceous period even get to, to Jerusalem? Is it those desert pastoral kings trading precious items again, or just some kid's fossil collection that got lost? What do we know about sharks in the Iron Age anyway? The only thing we're sure of is that they didn't live in Jerusalem. Or did they? Okay, so um, so I, I thought long and hard about a, uh, an appropriate lightning round. Actually, you know, I, I thought like for 20 seconds and it came to me. Um, favorite beach? Well, that's, that's easy for me. I like, is it? I like Long Branch, New Jersey. I think that's mm. my favorite beach. That is a good beach. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Dessel, world, world beach <laughs> critic. <laughs> shaking his head <laughs> we, have, we have to go to the closed captions here for <laughs> yeah the train got the train can, uh engineer was just going nuts on the horn it was oh outside like was he waving to you no he was just jamming it on instead of it was okay favorite <laughs> beach well there's two ways one can look at this <laughs> at least there's there's nostalgia or there's, you know, truly epic beaches. So I'll go for nostalgia and I'll go for Long Beach Island, New Jersey, where I grew up going to the, going to the Jersey shore. Long and Beach I'll, Island. Yeah, Long Beach Island. That's, uh, and, that, and, is, that is a good one. Yeah. Well, I, I would, you know, I, I think you could go, I, I agree, nostalgia or, or aesthetics, say. Right. Oh, I don't know. The Amalfi Coast has some nice beaches. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> but this has know, to be a beach you've been to. Um, I've been to. Hey, oh, okay. Okay. Not making the stuff up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would go with like Asbury Park <laughs> <laughs> for for the uh, for the nostalgia. Right. Because there's something about beach nostalgia for the Northeast that can't really be beat. That's right. So it's three votes for New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest of planet Earth can suck it. That's right. right. 
But I do want to add in here because I don't know that they'll be an appropriate place once we get going that um, when I was a kid, I was uh, at, well, at Sag Harbor where there is a whaling museum where I saw all sorts of shark's teeth and came away with a shark's tooth necklace. So I just wanted to get that out there. And I believe, I believe at some point we went to a, or uh, some kind of museum, fossil museum in Montana or something. And they also had shark's teeth. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I want to say just one quick word about um, beaches that face the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen some very nice beaches in, in Israel, I've seen some very nice beaches in, in, in Italy and in Greece, but they're facing the wrong way. Right. Beach, and California. Yeah. California, California. Lovely place, nice people, good climate, beaches facing the wrong way. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the sun has to come up over the beach, not set over the beach. That's correct. That is correct. So yeah. just, just wanted to get out there to <laughs> alienate the entire <laughs> the entire listener community. <laughs> Send your angry letters. But um <laughs> But maybe this whole beach nostalgia thing is the is the crux of the crux of the biscuit, right? Because um, why else would there be, uh, let's see, thirty eight fossil shark teeth in in the city of David in an eighth slash ninth century layer near a pool in the midst of, let's check the number, um, more than ten thousand other fish bone fragments like right what's up? it's a classic what's up with that situation <laughs> it with, is indeed in it the is. midst of 10,000 non-fossilized that is contemporary Correct. ninth eighth century right, right. bones yeah they're right. like goldfish bones and, right. <laughs> and, and sea bream and it's the of, of fish fries saturday night fish fries <laughs> right and so I, I just i don't want to be overly pedantic though it is my nature <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was, isn't it 29 and then yes. 10 others were found earlier in earlier excavations at City of David? I stand corrected. Yeah, it was 29 well, uh, and, and there were also, I'm not sure if within or outside this 29, there were some contemporary ones, Iron Age ones, but as opposed to all the fossilized ones. Oh, were there also? I thought I missed. I'm pretty okay. sure. Well, the reason, the only reason I bring that up, I don't bring that up to be pedantic, I bring that up to say, However many years ago, we already knew, though we didn't, um, that there were 10 uh, fossilized shark teeth already at City of David, but that either, that whole analysis either was never published or just sort of, you know, was buried in a City of David report. And so no one ever really picked up on it. But I found that fascinating that not only do sharks not only is there a, this incredible find of shark, uh, fossilized shark teeth, but it, there was an earlier find of fossilized shark teeth. Did they know they were fossilized at that point? Yeah, and okay. they're, from, they're from Area G primarily. Okay. Oh, I missed yeah. that. Um, and Area G, of course, had another deposit of bullae, a very famous deposit of bullae in the burnt house. Uh, so I was thinking, though I have no idea why or how the shark's teeth are associated with um, 
some kind of archive or, you know, a co collections of papyri or whatever. Um, but now we have two examples, at least nominally, because we don't really know too much about the area G deposit. But we have two examples where we have shark's teeth and boa. We, we need to uh, get um, David and Jane on the, on the, <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> our, our old pals, uh, Jane Cahill and David Tarler, um, the, the experts on Area G from way back in the day. When, yeah, indeed. Um, <clears throat> why didn't they play this up? What are they hiding? Well, firstly, I don't know which excavation of Area G it was. There were several after City of David. I think people he backs up. away from the conspiracy theory. Yeah. And secondly, um, that, you know, there's so many angles to this whole uh, cache of shark's teeth, uh, not the least of which is um, of all the sites in Israel, there are only two that are mentioned in all of these publications about shark teeth, ha uh, having finds of shark teeth, and that's Mari Shah and Mikne. Right. So why is it that the MEM sites are, <laughs> are identified as having shark teeth? But I suspect that the Area G shark teeth um, maybe it were um, something that was picked up by this latest team looking at, at this material and that they looked through all of the fish remains. I do remember that in an earlier, in one of the earliest City of David volumes, um, there was a chapter and I suppose it was by, what, what are the fish guys in Jerusalem, Lernow? Lernow and Lernow. Yeah. yeah, that one of the early, one of their early reports uh, they had a, a, a quite a bit of fish bones and that the fish bones were identified from both the Red Sea and the Mediterranean. And this was an indication, I think they came from, you know, typical sort of eighth, seventh century Jerusalem that, you know, in the eighth and seventh century fish were being imported from both of these places, adding to the luster and the economic vitality of, of Jerusalem as the capital city of Judah. That's so um, there so is this. Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, no. I'm just, you know. Well, and I was going to say that's an important point about the, the luster and wealth of the city of Jerusalem. But I think we need to back up a whoa, whole lot. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait. This is a fish. Well, that's the, that's the, <laughs> right. And that's, whoa, yeah. what is that thing? Right. Well, where, where are its and, paws? Where's its fur? We call it, right. <laughs> and that gets back so to, totally cool. Right. Okay. That gets back to, you know, these finds and how they get interpreted or misinterpreted and how people read them. And already you saw in these popular articles and newspapers about this cache of shark's teeth, people alluding to the richness of Jerusalem. Right, right. <laughs> As if these shark teeth, you know, 20, 29, or what if you want to include all of them, 39, adds to that, you know, no, uh, notion. So yeah. All right, so wait, we need to back up a lot, you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't we have to back up to, what is it, 60 million years ago? Yeah, okay, we don't have to back up that much. We just have to back up and talk about the context a little bit more clearly. So these are found in the so-called rock cut pool. Um, and um, they were at the foundation level of a house that was built probably in the eighth century. The, the, the fill might've been done in the ninth century BC. Um, one of the articles I read said that it is speculated by the archeologists who already, who, who dug the area, that it wasn't actually a pool, that that's a misnomer that maybe it was just some sort of cavity dug into the rock whose original purpose is unclear. Regardless, it was filled up with this fill and um, this fill could be detritus, but I have a question about that. 
um, and the fill contained these fossilized bones and the bullae and all these fish bones. So, okay, so that's the context. So now we need to, and a house was built on top of the fill, right? This was sealed by a floor. So we have a good chronological date for when this stuff was deposited. Okay, but, 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 but let's, let's clarify one thing here, that there were, um, there was 10,000 fish remains. Right. And 6.5 tons of pottery. Yeah, yeah. Found in this particular context. So right. that's right there. You're talking about something that's a little bit on the, on the wacky side. Right. And, yep. and the vast, vast, vast majority of the fish remains were, were not fossilized. And the reason right. that they found this because they were, they were looking at the strontium oxygen levels and trying to figure out where the fish came from and what the, yeah, yeah. You know, the environments were. And then lo and behold, they find these a shark teeth and B that are, you know, millions of years old. So right. what's up with that? Right. right. So, so my, my main question, I think the main question is, is, is it sort of just, and it doesn't sound like it, it's just garbage being thrown in to fill this area or is this intentionally placed <laughs> here or some sort of weird combination? Something that was once important that's I, I think that if there's 6.5 tons of pottery, which really, you know, stood out, stands out as quite a, um, obviously. I mean, the amazing thing is that they didn't look at this and say, okay, we're just, we're going to cover this back up. And right. We're going to walk away because that's just too much. Right. So I think that all of that pottery suggests that there was a, a big indiscriminate fill and somehow these other things, the bulleye and the shark's teeth, Got thrown, got thrown in there along with it, or were in there already, but I don't necessarily know we're going to be able to tease out the, you know, the origins of this fill or understand it any better because it sounds really massive and discombobulating. I think that's the most interesting question there because before I read about this as a detritus fill, I was thinking, oh well, this is some sort of foundation deposit. Why are they using fossilized shark's teeth as part of a foundation deposit? And I don't want to dismiss that completely just yet. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, I, I think that's a, a valid, that's a valid point because the bottom line is always the question, how did all that stuff get there? And that's really what it's, what it's, what it's all about to try and figure out this deposit, that deposit, where did it come from? How did it, and sometimes it's very straightforward and sometimes it's particularly convoluted. So how did, you know, 30 million year old shark's teeth, a tiny, a tiny number relatively get tossed in with all this other stuff and the sharks come from 90 kilometers from, from uh, you know, outcrops, 90 kilometers or whatever to the south in the negative. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> it's the whole thing. It, it defies, it defies explanation. It also brings up the question. Humans are not meant to understand this. <laughs> <laughs> we're toying with, we're toying with powers that we just don't understand. Were these, <laughs> were these shark teeth collected in the ninth or eighth century? Were they collected in the bronze age? You know, when, when did they reach Jerusalem before they were, before they were stuck in this deposit? Right. Well, so the only thing that some of the uh, researchers have to offer is 
you know, people still collect shark's teeth, so maybe they did in the past. Right. And, and I think that this is, you know, this is a, one of the mysterioso aspects of this whole thing. But clearly, you know, these, I mean, another part of this whole equation is what did the, what did the Iron Age people think these were? Yeah. I mean, they, they couldn't know that they were fossilized shark teeth. Right. They wouldn't know that they're fossilized, but they would know that they're shark's teeth. Would they? I looked. I, I did a lot of research on this this morning. Uh, there are there are sharks in the Mediterranean. Although no, there are sharks in, yeah. in both the Red Sea and the Mediterranean, but but did they know what the teeth look like? Why wouldn't they? I guess well, I, I think that people who live by the shore um, are very familiar with with yes. sharks. Yeah, and one, one of these articles said that they were eating sharks in general. Yes, uh, that they, yeah. right. sharks so, make uh, make can make good eating. Right, and that's of course a kind of a little bit of a problem being as they're not kosher. Um, right. But fossilized sharks are, are not good eating. Well, <laughs> Especially from the Negev. Right. right. They're dry, they're tough. I mean, I've been assuming that they understood that these were, were very old. They may not have known that they were 60 million years old. But uh, especially because their world only went back from the from the from the ninth century, their their world only went back another, you know, three or four millennium at tops. Right. right. So so I mean I think I think that that's so so okay, if they came from some fossil deposit in the Negev, which I believe is what this article was implying. Yeah, um, oh no, they were very they were very keen on that point because there are two possible deposits. Uh, in proximity, one within Jerusalem itself on Mount Scopus and this other one in the Southern Negev. Right. And they were very uh, dogmatic about the fact that these teeth came from the Southern Negev and, you know. Right. You know, so, just, I'm not gonna argue that. Right. With yeah, I'm not gonna argue that either. By any, by any means. But the fact that it's in with, all these things were in with, with 10,000 other fishbones that were almost certainly eaten. Right. Uh, some kind of economic. But, and, and here we should point out that yes, since since uh, the dawn of the dawn of man and women, um, fish are being transported hither and yon. However improbable as that as that may seem, um, as far <laughs> back as the early Bronze Age. But it does that doesn't seem improbable. No, it seems so, quite probable. There's anything improbable about you, you get some salt. Fish. You put your fish in your salt, and you're good. Yeah, right? I would much rather schlep fish. And then field dress a uh, ungulate. <laughs> so, oh, me too. <laughs> that's a, yeah, but it's so much trouble to. You're taking a well, in the Roman period. They're taking fish from you know Spain, yeah. and they're sending them to like Mesopotamia. These ridiculous distances in in barrels, and it all becomes a very specialized thing. And even in the early Bronze Age, they're taking. Egyptian fish and sending them to, to Canaan. And uh, I guess that, that speaks to the power, <laughs> the power of, of, you know, appetites, literally. The power of Pisces. <laughs> Pisces power. <laughs> Got to write that one down. Thanks. Yeah, no, I think that, uh, look, there's big money in, in fish. Always has been big money in fish. How much does it, where are how we? Much does, how much does a pound of good locks go for? I'm, I'm talking about real locks. That's yeah. a good point. It's like forty dollars yeah. a pound now. Yeah. Right. So there's always big money in in these kinds of commodities. And you can't get good locks in many parts of this country. So, no. Right. No. It's a luxury item. Most and, people don't even know what locks are. 
That's true. They think that Nova are locks and there couldn't be longer. Not that. <laughs> oh, he's going to get on his, I'm not, his, high, I'm not, his high horse here. <laughs> I am not. I'm not going to get into cold smoking. I'm not going to get into any of that. Right. Well, but, well that's, that's an interesting question. Just par parenthetically related to these 10,000 other bones. How are they, how are they being prepared? Well, are they I being smoked it, on the sh someplace and transported in as, uh, you know, what <laughs> are they, are they, the bones are obviously getting there. So the whole carcass is on the move, but are I, they smoked? Are they pickled? Are they? I think everyone seems to think that they're, that they're dried, dried. salted and fried, just like they are today in, in most, you know, coastal communities. If you go into marketplaces, you see big, you know, hunks of, of dried salted fish. So it's, they're coming as bacalao. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I want to just, I want to interrupt for one second. I don't associate the shark's teeth with the 10,000 fish bones. What is I, their relationship? I associate the shark's teeth as something very special and unique and right. a very teeny tiny thing with the bullye. Okay, I, I like that. And what I was going to say is you guys are on this huge fish tangent, which I was about to add to, but I don't have to. Um, <laughs> I, what I was going to say is, can you imagine being an inland person who eats lots of salted fish going to Jaffa for the first time and encountering a fresh fish and must taste so different? But that's besides the point. The point I wanted to make <laughs> was somebody at some point in the ninth century or centuries before was in the Negev and dug at these fossils out of the ground, out of the, the, the rock. Or they washed out. They could have washed out. They could have washed out, but they saw them and they saw that they're not your ordinary, your ordinary shark teeth from a shark that just died two weeks ago. And they recognized them as well, being a good point. special in some way. And then it became a thing. And, you know, I don't know what happened if somebody in the negative knew immediately this was going to be worth money to the royalty or, you know, this is the fun part of speculating wildly. Maybe it's these pastoral kings who are floating around Timna. And, and everywhere else, and they're collecting fossils. And so not only is Timna exporting, you know, and uh, uh, metal, but maybe they're also in the fossil trade and, and other right. kinds of- uh, They're getting fish and, and, uh, and purple dye. Right. In, right. in exchange for, for fossils and metal. Exactly, right. right. So we can add that. I mean, one of the things that I take from this whole thing, and I want to get back to this, which they're associated with and all of that, yeah, yeah. is that we're really now, you know, more and more fleshing out the diversity of the economy. Not that this, not the size of the economy, because we already know what this economy can do. That the, you know, they're basically what they can do is they can build a temple and a walled city in Jerusalem and a couple of other cities and be a modest kingdom. So the, so the, Intensity of the economy is one thing, but just the diversity of it, I think, is really coming to light with all these scientific studies and, you know, looking at, at, uh, at, at all the animal bones and all the seeds and all of these other kinds of things. And so now we recognize that, yeah, they've got their, <laughs> they've got their fingers in a lot of different pies. Right. I want to I I hear the rest of what you want to say, but I also wanted to say that, that unlike a lot of the new scientific discoveries that come up that basically are just another way of knowing stuff that we already know. This is actually something really new. Right. 
So that kind of is interesting about it. Like right, and the fact that they weren't using them as, as jewelry, that they don't have holes in them, right. and they were wearing them or anything else, um, is in some ways very, you know, representative of what you said earlier, is that, you know, they, you know, you, you buy these little tchotchkes, <laughs> you know, and, and you just put them in a box someplace. You give right. them to your kids and put them in a box and they're unadorned. But, but yeah, um, what were they doing with them? And do they belong with the fish bones or do they belong with the bulleye? So or what, are they what just we, its own thing? What do we know about the bulleye? <laughs> all, <laughs> this is all new. Yeah. So, so I don't know anything about the, I don't think there's anything on these bulleye from the rock cut pool. Right. So we don't know what kind of markings might have been on them. And so we don't know if they were what, what sort of administrative right. use they might have had. Right. For Yitzhak, the shark, the shark keeper, the royal <laughs> shark keeper. Um, <laughs> deal don't, don't deal with him. He's a real shark. Right. <laughs> now, let, let me go. Let me go sideways. Um, isn't there aren't there caches in some Mesopotamian palace somewhere of, of various fossils like trilobites or, you know, little, you know, yeah. fossilized things. I, I'm trying to rem I, I know that I've seen it somewhere, maybe at Kish or some, someplace, but the point being that, you know, ancient folks were as curious about stuff the natural world that they encountered as as we are and they they collected things so people would collect you know pretty rocks and weird shaped fossilized things that were were out of out of the ordinary and certainly by the the classical period in greece and also you know classical periods in in china guys were were collecting these things actual dinosaur fossils and going what, what you know where does this fit in to the natural world the taxonomy of the world as we understand it or they might be grinding them down into you know medicinal products right they, i'm sure they had all sorts of interpretations and and uses and, and so on but you know certainly within the last of um, you know 500 to a thousand years this becomes the origin of paleontology that they're, they're looking at these things, they're looking at them in context, maybe not shark teeth in particular. I read something about you know, Leonardo da Vinci, who's a you know, pretty smart guy, going around um, the Italian countryside and saying, oh, look, there's, there's coral in these rocks, which means that these had to be underwater, which means that you know, there has to be some kind of stratigraphic um, and you know, paleoclimatic change. Now this is different from just saying, "Oh, look, it's a shark tooth, honey," but uh, you know that's cool. Put it in your put it in your little box. No, right. I think it's more like what you just said. I think it's more like Da Vinci understanding things. I think they did understand that this is something older and preserved, dare I say, fossilized in in rock. Uh, I think they got that without getting the length of time that had gone by. So the so the desert kings of of the Negev and you know their caravaneers. We're going around saying, what's this? <laughs> it looks like a shark's tooth. What's going on here? I'm into my back tent. I have something very special to show you. <laughs> the implications of this are, are tremendous for, un for understanding our world and, and its yeah. evolution over time. No, I don't think that that's what they were thinking. 
<laughs> I think so they were cutting them off from the scientific. Method. No, I think they understood there was something older and thereby they became something valuable. Just like if you're watching Antiques Roadshow and uh, you understand that age gives things value and right. uh, then they'll sell it to a bidder who's interested. Yeah. That's where you get to your elites being being consumers of these things. Sure. And I mean, think of the attendant stories that they would tell about these teeth. Um, and and I'm, I just looked at the teeth and yeah, you're you're probably you're undoubtedly right that they did that they did know that they were, you know, teeth of some kind of aquatic species and so that they could, you know, spin their yarns this way and that way um, regarding these teeth uh, and their antiquity and their, you know, validation of of uh, gods and the past and all of these kinds of things. Yeah. But, um, but I want to hear your guys' opinion on whether where these things belong. Um, do they belong to the? To are they a singularity? Do they belong with the bullai as something very special and unique and something that the the palace collected and distributed? Do they belong to the uh, fish bones? Right. What do you guys think? The so far as I know, there's nothing in the Hebrew Bible suggesting that early kings of Judah put out an edict saying, oh, you know, all of your, all of your shark bones, all of your shark teeth must be delivered to the palace. Right, right. Uh, but, but let's deal with the fines and not, you know, because the Hebrew Bible is only going to give us so much as we know. It's are like, sharks mentioned in the Hebrew Bible? That's sharks? Easy. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to Google. We display our, our shocking <laughs> ignorance yeah. on, on a, yet again and on a regular basis. Um, you know, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the at the the figure showing the showing the the location of all these finds, and it's not really showing me what the stratigraphy. Yeah. Is. They in the article they mentioned that a lot of these or the things that they focus in on, especially for these for the for the sea bream and for the shark's teeth are, are calcolithic uh, deposits found at Gilat and, right. um, and the Iron Age. They say Iron Age 1 and 2, but they only really talk about Iron Age 2 examples. Yeah. Right. Um, and that also to me was kind of interesting. Uh, the calcolithic makes a lot of sense. They're down in the Negev to begin with. Um, they're not so much down in the Negev in the early Bronze Age or the middle Bronze Age uh, or even the late Bronze Age. Um, but the iron too, they're, you know, or at least, yeah, they're back in the Negev, um, at least with the construction of these forts. And now we have, you know, all of these, uh, you know, Negev pastoral kingdoms. So, you know, there is this kind of Negev connection uh, for the appearance of these uh, shark's teeth in calcolithic and iron two deposits. Right. But those, those were not fossilized shark's teeth. Those are just shark's teeth. No, I think the um, calcolithic ones are fossilized. I was understanding that differently. I was understanding that as, um, because if you look down that chart, some it says iron two, it says calcolithic, and then it says late Cretaceous for a whole bunch of them. And then it says iron one for Ashland. So I thought that that was the date that they thought that the sharks dated to. Well, I, I, it, regardless, it's important to point out that, that you know, the, 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 the fish, the fish boffins were, were simply going through all of these tons and tons of fish remains and testing them. And then they realized after their test results for strontium and oxygen came out wackily, 
off that you know these aren't <laughs> these aren't contemporary sharks teeth these are fossil sharks teeth and right. you know so, what's up with that i mean but, so my question is still so if they were they were valued they were prized by someone so so that goes back to your question jp who was who was prizing them but then how did they get into this deposit yeah well clearly they're in and around jerusalem or they're in jerusalem that's yeah, very clear i think that frankly the archaeologists or the, uh, the, the PR people working with the archeologists really missed out on a great opportunity to, to, to spin a, a fantastic yarn about how these could have gotten there. That, yeah. you know. well, that's what we're doing. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, these, these obviously belong to the royal son, the royal family who was asked when the deposit was being sealed to toss them in ritually as with all the 6.5 tons of pottery and the bulai as a way of ritually, maybe it's a way of, of ritually um, expunging the shark threat. To <laughs> uh, and here we finally have our first reference to knock, 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 land shark. <laughs> right. The you know the, I was waiting for that the uh, the 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 hitherto unrecognized threat of land sharks in Iron Age, in Iron Age Judah, <laughs> and this yeah. is some sort of uh, you know ritual way of of keeping that that threat away. I think it's more yeah well I think it's protective potentially. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Uh, okay. I mean, it's, it's some sort of, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm very bothered by this. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Or maybe, you know, maybe some, some kid was just standing there with his bag of, of, you know, shark teeth that his father had given to him from his trading journey through the Negev as they were filling in this hole with 6.5 tons of, of pottery and he was either in a bad mood or you know there was a hole in his bag and they fell in and he was really he was really irritated and cried uh, you can weave all sorts of how about this one in this net of influence. how about how about the bull-eye cutters of antiquity were were their rank was being uh, demonstrated by their shark's tooth necklace that they would wear Oh, but so are these things perforated or they, I guess they had to have been tied in some way. Right. They, right. Or, or yeah, exactly. They weren't perforated. Right. Well, you so can that, probably, yeah. So, <clears throat> and when these, and when the bull eye were deposited, there was some kind of ritual, you know, depositing of the, of the shark's teeth as well. That's good. I would rather see that for some reason, I, I, again, this, it, this, the fact that they're found in area G, which also had a deposit of bull eye, it's, it's to me is a little bit strange. Mm. I mean, but, uh, you're, you're, probably there's nothing there. intentional deposition. I mean, you're you know, there, there, it's not a little kid just getting yeah. A and, yeah. Um, but, so, but again, it's all it, this is completely speculative, right? right. Well, I, I want to go along with that speculation. <laughs> <laughs> if two people speculated, it turns into a real thing, then right. it's a theory, that's yeah, true. right. That's right. So, so I also want to, so I have two, okay, two speculations. One, the fact that they are not perforated means that perhaps 
they don't want to hurt these um, semi-precious. Well, they're, they're stone also. Well, yeah, but you can, you know, so you'd have to drill them very. I I get that, but people do that. Um, But they chose not to, so they didn't want to damage them in any sense. But then I want to go in a completely speculative direction. Um, So these things. (laughs) As opposed to, as opposed to all of our previous comments. Correct. Uh, So, so we are talking about um, the part of, the part of Jerusalem that's closest to the water system. And, um, and we're talking about outside the walls, I'm assuming also, right? Um, yes, it is outside the walls, exactly. Yeah. So what if this is some sort of an administrative structure as opposed to a private house? I don't know why they're calling it a private house. Um, that is, maybe there's a reason they're saying that, but if it's some sort of administrative structure that has something to do with the water systems um, of, of Jerusalem, uh, that would explain bull eyes, administrative, whatever. And um, I, I don't really know what to say about the fossils, but I want to add that into the possible context. Okay. Sounds eminently possible. And the great thing about this is that, that it's, it's, it's just, it's an illustration of, of archeological interpretation. And it's and it's completely wildest, and where you have on the one hand hard scientific quantified data about how many sea bream, you know, bones there are, and how many this and how many that, <clears throat> but you take we're focusing in on the tiniest bizarrest sample of something that has no explanation and just 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 riffing off of it. Right. And, and, uh, and, and the interpretation wouldn't change dramatically if it was found in, in situ in some way. Because again, and we don't know this, but we're, we're positing that there's, that there's not a lot of, of biblical literature about sharks. Well, in the meantime, I looked that up, and at least in English, in BibleGateway.com, there's no mention of shark. In the yeah, I, I think that the shark is not discussed too, too much in the Hebrew Bible, or one of us would have, you know, known something. Oh, yes, that, you know, yeah. whatever, 1964 article on, on, <laughs> on the shark in Hezekiah, you know, would, we would, but... Um, right, shark metaphors in, <laughs> in second Isaiah. <laughs> So, so that's interesting because even if we had them in context, we wouldn't have a lot more to go on. Well, and that's but but the the lack of of shark references is is a kind of context that it's it's not that we know of formally um, a kind of thing. <laughs> Whoa! What a sentence! I know. <laughs> Sharks aren't sharks. Really, aren't a thing in, in in the biblical world. Right. There's no shark iconography anywhere. Yes. No. There's no. There's no shark. Um, sharks on seals. So well, in the late Bronze Age, there's there are craters with fish on them, um, often thought to be barracudas or some other fish. I don't think they're ever considered to be sharks, and I don't think there's any shark stuff. Um, on Ula Barun, you would expect, you know, something in Ugaritic literature or, you know, something there for sharks. So yeah, I think they are relatively um, yeah. 
So, so that, that means there, there, is no, there is no context, in a sense, for this. Right, there's no... It makes them extra specially special. Right. Um, I mean, actually, you know, because in the Near East, at least, especially in Egypt, you know, you do have this, you know, these different kinds of things about sea creatures. So, for instance, uh, catfish, you know, spines, right? Don't they, don't they sort of appear in Egyptian... Oh yeah, right. And and uh, and and in all across the the late Bronze Age and um, first millennium and uh, you know Aegean, right? You got you got all sorts of fish, and you have octopi and uh, cuttlefish and cuttlefish and and other things. I don't know of any sharks. It wouldn't surprise me if they had sharks on pots in the Aegean, but I can't think of any. <laughs> with my my deep <laughs> classical art education, just right. We, we count on other people. Got <laughs> dolphins, but no sharks. Yeah, like they dolphins. got well. They're certainly dolphins. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Or porpoises, right? Or whatever, whatever they are. Flipper, um, the flipper motif. <laughs> so there's a real absence of shark in in a very broad way. Yeah. And right. then all of a sudden now we have this strange little concentration of shark teeth in Iron Age two Jerusalem. Well, so here's what I was thinking about sharks. I was thinking about what, what, is, what is, at least in our culture, what's the great mystique about sharks? And I came up with a couple of things. Okay, so first of all, sharks, their bodies are cartilage, right? So that makes them weird. And second, um, they are, um, you know, they can kill you. Uh, <laughs> yes, you can say that about a lot of things oh, though. You say that about but, spiders. No, but sharks in particular, you know, we've all were raised in the generation of Jaws. Well, I was just yeah. going to say was were, before Jaws um, was was published and then made into a blockbuster movie. Uh, how much were sharks in our cultural context? How much did we, as a culture, think about sharks on a day to day basis? I, I thought well, about them very little. Well, in the, in in the, the earlier Jersey Shore, periodically you'd be down at the shore, and all of a sudden the lifeguards would call everybody in. There was a shark sighting. Right. So that would, you know, that would happen. Right. Okay. Uh, and there were, of course, sand sharks, which are not particularly ominous in any way. They and rhyme with they, land sharks. Um, so, you know, they weren't a huge cultural icon, but post Jaws, they certainly are. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And post Jaws, people were going crazy about sharks and they were pulling them out of the water and they're killing them by the, by the millions. And, uh, but in, in Asian cultures where sharks are more of a um, commonly consumed item, right? It's it's like a whole. There's a a lot more shark awareness, um, which is you know, <laughs> which we now have. It's right. a relative. It's a it's a veritable sharknado of awareness that we have. <laughs> right, shark fin soup, which I think uh, led to the depopulation of some species of shark sharks. Right. right. Um, but again, this is kind of a, I think we, I think we might be looking at the, in the wrong direction because these are fossilized teeth that come from the Negev. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what they knew about them and what they understood and thought about them are probably very terrestrial and they probably were very, you know, uh, confused about the whole situation of what these teeth of, you know, aquatic aquatic species, which they, as you guys noted, probably understood were doing so far inland um, and probably gave 
rise to all sorts of crazy, you know, kinds of um, their understanding of, of the past. And that's what made them valuable to them. Right. But it was, but what I'm saying is, is that their experience with this stuff is inland, not mm. uh, aquatic. Right. right. That's true. So, so what, what do we think? How did you... <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the shark fin soup. <laughs> I've never had shark fin soup. Have you? I've never yeah. had. No, it sounds very gelatinous. Yeah. Well, are sharks are sharks fatty? Are sharks good for you? Or what's what's the deal with eating sharks? Tasty. I mean, the flesh. Um, <laughs> and they're they're but they're very useful economic animals because you use their skins for sandpaper and, and other kinds of things. But uh, first, they started wearing shark skin, and then they said, "Wait a minute, this is way too rough." Right. This what is, else can we do with this? It just makes a, a great suit. <laughs> but every time I brush up against somebody, <laughs> it's a huge abrasion. So maybe we should try something else. Well, no, these are all interesting points. Uh, <laughs> you know, in that pointless kind of way that we've mastered. Yeah, you, you flatter us, but. Uh, um, but yeah. I you're right. These are inland. These are inland people valuing valuing shark teeth. Should we speculate about the fact that they're teeth? I mean, obviously, that's the part of the shark that survived in the fossils. But do teeth represent the killing aspect of sharks as opposed to the, the eating aspect, the human eating shark aspect, the shark eating human aspect as opposed to the... <laughs> well, I'm thinking about Mediterranean, um, you know, shark, shark culture as I understand it. And there are plenty of sharks in the Mediterranean, but they're, I don't think that they figure prominently in Mediterranean cuisine, do they? No, I did read somewhere that they that they were eating shark, but I don't remember. Right, but it's not like they they worked over sharks like they worked over every other species of fish, right. and they extracted salty products and this and that. I mean, they take an anchovy, which is you know like one millionth the size of a shark, and they and, and they have completely you know the Mediterranean folk have completely you know um, reverse engineered every aspect of the anchovy. Right. But right. the shark, which they had a lot more to work with, does not seem to be. You know, right. and, and everything and everything in between that they could catch and skin and salt and pickle and barbecue and deep fry. Right. Um, they they do. Right. Um, That's not where I was going with this, by the way. But uh, I, so so I guess my one conclusion you could take from that is that shark is not very tasty. <laughs> okay. Soy sauce, but no, uh, I'm saying, but if it was, we would know. Mediterranean peoples would have exploited them in a much more knowable way, like they right. exploited all these sardines and anchovies and right. all, the, all those kinds of, of fish. Right. And it would have been a bigger part of the, of the iconography of, right. yeah. Of, yeah. of the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and certainly in the Eastern Mediterranean, in all periods, it's just not, sharks are just not really a thing. Right. Here's my, here's my chariot crater and here's my shark crater. You don't have right. that going on. Right. So maybe that's what made these these couple dozen shark teeth so wacky. Yeah. And so, so very unusual. Maybe, maybe they knew what sharks were. Maybe, maybe they knew they were dangerous, but you find big serrated teeth in the middle of the Negev. I'm just going to scoop these up and take them to Jerusalem with me. Right. And, and one thing leads to another, and yeah, <laughs> they're covered by 6.5 tons of pottery. 
<laughs> and they're mixed in with all these other fish remains until 3,000 years later, they're doing their thing. And it's like, wow, these are really, really, really old. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know how much more speculation we can do. I think we've speculated really effectively here. In our second hour. Um, well, okay. So, sh so should we uh, should we do final uh, summation? Yes. You start. Um, I think the, the the shark is an important part of the marine ecosystem, and gets a bad rap, and should be um, should be treated with healthy respect, and as should um, wild speculation about fossil teeth should be treated with great respect. <laughs> I think these things were, were hoary avatars of a deep and ancient past <laughs> that were scooped up by pastoral kings in their court and, and traded to, uh, to Jerusalem for, uh, for whatever they could get. And to follow along with that, they were valued for a long time by the elites of Jerusalem until they were, including when they were building a new building in the water area of the city and they were deposited along with other materials um, for, for apotropaic purposes. Um, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have Everybody do a shot. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, that, well, we really sunk our teeth into this. <laughs> well, if nothing else, we'd like to think that we've made it safe to go back into the water. So we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, educator in residence at the Savannah Music Festival for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the hand-knit hosiery company of Sheboygan, Wisconsin, makers of the Sheboygan Wigwam brand wool swimsuit. When you think wool swimsuits, Think Sheboygan. To get in touch, leave us a comment, send us an email at thisweekintheancientneareast, all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.